Are you pooping? Uh. You sure are. So for uh, any of you guys that haven't been with us, either online or here in person, um, of why we do baby dedications instead of uh, baptisms. Uh, so we always like to, you know, first of all, let people know this is why we do what we do and, and how important it is as a part of uh, what we're doing as a church. And so I always tell people next to baptism Sundays, you know, the times where we get to uh, dedicate uh, babies is awesome and have this opportunity to come together as a church and realize our own responsibility, but also to be able to celebrate uh, what God's doing uh, in the family. So, Judy, will you let me hold you? Come on. <laughs> Always the test, right? <laughs> so, one of the reasons that we do baby dedications is, is that we know, and you guys probably more than anybody know, that children are a gift from God, right? And that for a while, we prayed for you guys on this journey. And what was incredible is that we got to be a part of it with you, you know, is just that uh, the high times and the low times and the times where wondering where God was, but then also being able to see just how perfect little Judah is and knowing now that this is what he's waiting for, right? And that um, what you guys will mean to him. Uh, and that's the whole idea is that because he is, children are a gift from God, then we also understand that we have a responsibility. And we meaning as parents, that Josh and Michelle would know that um, God gifted his children, but they're really his, you know, and we talk about that a lot, but we have a stewardship and a responsibility. And so for you guys and the part of this dedication is the, the recognition that not only will you love him well and take care of him and, and keep him happy and excited about life, but you'll introduce him to Jesus and introduce him first through how you live your life, you know, and the things that you do and, and how he can watch as a representation of who Jesus really is and what he's doing. Um, but also then at some point giving him the chance to be able to ask questions and to be able to explore what it means to have his own faith because now, you know, through this time it'll be yours that he's learning. And so the mandate, and this is what we'll ask both of you, the mandate is, is that because he is a gift, because Judah is a gift, will you um, and Josh and Michelle take responsibility for allowing Judah to grow up in an environment where he can see and know who Christ is and that he can see and understand the love of Christ through your love for one another and for other people and that someday that you will help lead him to the point of making that decision? If so, answer, we will. Awesome. So also as a church... You're the star of the show. You should be looking out there. So as a church is the other responsibility, right, is, is that we as a church also understand that it takes more than just parents to be able to help kids uh, grow and understand and live in a way that um, honors God. And so as a church, our mandate is this, to be able to come alongside of um, 
Josh and, and Nichelle and be able to help them uh, in that journey and help uh, Judah understand who Christ is through the things that we do as a church. So I'm asking you as a church, will we do and, and come alongside of them in ways to help Judah come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? If so answer, we will. Yeah. And so the other thing is, is this is just so special, you know, for me because we talked for many years, you know, what it would be like to be able to someday be standing up here um, with your future child. So thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of that and to be able to see um, God had a plan. And even though it didn't seem to make sense at times, is that he revealed himself and just how special it is and the things that he's doing and just how special your journey has been and what God's doing already. And so our gift, as you know, um, is a baton. And so we give a baton, and in there is engraved their date of dedication. And so we would ask, what we ask the parents to do is to be able to write a letter of what they were thinking on this day and what they're hoping for so that someday when Judah makes a decision for Christ, that they can pass on that baton and he can open up that and pull out the letter uh, that Josh and Michelle wrote to him on the day that he was dedicated with the hopes that he would someday take on his own faith and so that they could do that. Okay? So we're going to pray over you. Let's pray. <laughs> so Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for Josh and Michelle, first of all, in their journey and allowing um, you to be seen through uh, their journey. Lord, we also are so thankful for Judah, Lord, and that we know that you have such a great plan for his life, Lord, and uh, we pray that uh, Josh and Michelle will be able to help unpack that in his life and lead him in directions where he can see you, Lord. And we pray ultimately that someday Judah will make his own decision to accept you as Lord and Savior. And Lord, and we will also be there to celebrate on that day. Lord, we love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. Let me get you the time. All right, so let's talk about, first of all, just go back just a little bit here real quick. So if you remember the whole Grow series that there, or the Grow thing that they were talking about, if you weren't in here for the announcements, uh, they're talking about this opportunity or this thing that we're going to do called Grow Night. And on Grow Night, this is the vision behind it. So I want to make sure that you see this. So one of the things that we know about um, journeying inside of your Christian faith is, is that it's better done in community than it is separate, right? So being in community helps us grow inside of our faith. And we know that you can only grow so much being in rows compared to being in circles, right? But when we tell people like, hey, you ought to get into small groups, and this is especially for guys, we're like, well, what do they do in that small group? You know, because there's this fear of, are they going to ask me to share my feelings, and do I have to tell them about what's going on in my life? And so a lot of people are like, I don't really know if I want to be inside of a small group. So we understand that, and we know how that works, and we know that it's difficult at times. But we also understand that we can help in that process. So Grow Night is to say, well, we're going to have some classes that are going to be on Wednesday night. And these classes are based around things that each one of us deal with at some point in our life. So one of them is finances, right? So at some point, you know, all of us deal with trying to get a perspective of what God says about money. And so we're going to be doing Crown Financial. Uh, we also know at some point we deal with relationships and marriage. And so what does that look like? So we're going to have a marriage class. Uh, we're also going to say at one point, you know, we all deal with what it's like to raise children, you know, and we all know the challenges of raising kids. And so there's going to be a parenting class. And also what we had talked about is, is we think it's really important for you to have personal evangelism, like learn how to reach your friends. So this whole idea of relationship evangelism and what does that look like and how can we then also pass that on. So we're going to be doing a class called Go and Tell. So it's how do you do relationship evangelism and what's that look like in your life? So we're offering those classes for you if you have a need, like finances, marriage, whatever those things are, that it gives you an opportunity to sign up for that or be a part of that. And here's what I want to like encourage you. So this is the vision behind it. Sometimes people are like, I don't want to sign up for a marriage class because then everybody thinks my marriage is bad. 
Right? Anybody think that? Because we've always said this before. Like, people are like, we're doing a marriage retreat. And they're like, are you going on the marriage retreat? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, is there something wrong with your marriage? I'm like, no. Don't be so proud to think that at some point you can't work on your marriage. Right? Like, that's getting this whole right view of yourself. Regardless of where you're at, you can still work on your marriage. God is out of plan. The other thing that I want you to think about is this. What would it be like, even if your marriage is incredible, to be inside of one of these classes, or even though you got finances down and you don't really need Crown Financial, but what would it look like if you went to one of those classes with the opportunity saying, I could get to know somebody, and I could be in relationship with somebody, and I could help them through the process, right? Because it's not just the class that changes things. It's being in relationship that helps people go down that road. So my challenge is to you, if you already got some of those things right, don't let that keep you from signing up for one of these classes with an opportunity of, one, getting to know more people here, and two, helping somebody else, right? That it's not always just about us. Um, And that you, too, if you're looking at, like, what should I sign up for, for us to not be too proud to say, well, I don't really need any help in these areas because God can really do some amazing things through that. So there will be sign-up sheets out there uh, on the table if you want to sign up after church, but we're going to keep talking about it for these next two Sundays uh, with uh, hopes that you guys will get signed up and be a part of those classes. All right, so we're starting a new series called Amplified, and this is the reason that we're doing the series. Let me give you some background behind it. One of the things that we know in culture today is there's a lot of voices, right? So a lot of people speaking, and here's what culture knows. Whoever can be the loudest usually gets heard right? So whoever can be the loudest inside of culture knows that if we put ourselves out there enough and we're loud enough, you're going to listen. And also, here's what they know. If you listen, they also understand that it's probably going to change the way you react or the way that you behave or the things that you do. And so probably, and this is what I said this week is, you know, uh, talking to Brady about what's going on in Afghanistan, you know, and what's happening over there. Here's what's crazy. 20 years ago, 25 years ago, we wouldn't know half of what's going on, right? Because we didn't have so many voices, right? Like you might turn on 15, 21, 33, and 55, and that's all you got. There wasn't scrolling through your phone and being able to have unlimited amount of voices and opinions that you have today, right? Like you guys can get unlimited amount of voices and opinions, and it's at your fingertips, and you can hear them all the time. And we know that at times, voices get amplified that should not be amplified, right? So that's, that's the first thing that we're saying is like, there are voices that are getting amplified that should never, as a Christian person, be amplified. The other thing that we're going to talk about, which I'm really excited about, uh, not only are we going to identify what shouldn't be amplified in life, we're also going to identify this. How do you hear from God? How do you hear the voice of God. And I think this is for a lot of people, whether you want to admit it or not, because I've heard so many people say this, like, I don't know if I've ever heard from God. Like I've heard other people say, you know what I mean? So like I've, I've listened to a podcast or I've went uh, to a sermon or I've read a book and this is what other people say about God, but I've never really heard God say, hey, this is what I have to say to you. And this series is going to help you figure out how do you hear the voice of God. Because if we haven't heard, it's not because he doesn't want to speak, right? It's not that God doesn't want to speak to us, but it could be possible that you're not hearing because of distractions or other voices. Or it could be you're not hearing because you're not tuned in or you don't understand or, or how you can bring those things together. So we are going to explore not only what are those voices, but also how can we hear the voice of God. Now, here's one thing that I want to kind of set straight going into it, because I think this is important for all of us to understand. If voices are amplified in your life right now, it's by choice. Is that right? Like, we get to choose which voices are amplified, you know, in our lives. We get to choose who we're listening to. We get to choose who gets a voice inside of our lives. As a person moving forward in this series or as somebody that's like working through this process, you need to remember you have a choice, 
right? So when you struggle with this idea of like, I heard this from somebody and I heard this from somebody else and, you know, I, I read Instagram or I was on Facebook and I keep hearing all, like, you have a choice. Like, you don't have to listen or you don't have to give people a voice. Now, okay, you can't say that to your wife or you can't say to your husband, right? They get, they get a voice, right? They get a talk. But for every other out, you know, side deal, like, you get a choice on what you listen to and what you don't. So that will be something that's important as we move forward. Now, we're going to look at fear this week. So how voices inside of our culture, and I think more prevalent than ever, like people are dealing with fear. And it doesn't matter what that is. It's just I think because of the flood of information that we've had in culture today, a lot of people are struggling with fear. Now, we're going to be looking at Elijah, and it's going to be in 1 Kings 19. So if you have a Bible, you could turn there. But in 1 Kings 19, here's the premise of what I want us to see, because I think this is really important. A lot of times when people struggle with fear, it's for a couple different reasons, and we're going to talk about this. Part of it is, is you've made a what-if scenario that you've entered yourself in. Does that make sense? So you told a story of a bunch of things that could happen, and then you put yourself in the middle of the things that could happen, and so then fear becomes a part of your life. And the thing that we need to recognize, because I think too many times people are like, well, why are you fearful? Why don't you just have faith? You ever told anybody that or anybody ever told you that? Like, I don't know why you're so scared. You should just have faith in God. And I'm like, do you know my situation? Right? Like, I know it's easy to say from the outside that I shouldn't have fear. I know it's easy from the outside to say, oh, just trust God. But let me tell you, right? And the reason I say that is because we're getting ready to look at a story of, I think if you would read inside of Scripture, you would look at Elijah and you'd be like, this guy's rock solid. Right? This guy saw God do some things that nobody else saw. This was a man who saw uh, extreme things and acted on his faith in extreme ways, but still fell away and became fearful. So I think you should take comfort in that, right? You might not take comfort in that. I'm telling you to take comfort in it. It's not an issue of where your faith is that causes you to fall into fear. So don't, if, don't let somebody shame you in the fact that you are just like everybody else. At some point, some voice derails us, right? At some point, something derails us. And so looking at this today, here's what we're going to do. So we're going to look at the story, and then looking at the story, we're going to identify what happened to Elijah, what voice was he listening to, and how do those things uh, cause fear in our life. Then we're going to read the rest of it and see what God's response was to it. And then we're going to put together four things that will help us be able to not live in fear and get the right voices in our hearts. So let's start in 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 1. So now Ahab, now Ahab was the king of Israel, okay? So Here's an expectation. If you didn't know this and you haven't read your Bible or you have read your Bible, this is just a reminder. The king of Israel is supposed to carry out the things that God wants him to do, right? Like that's what the king of Israel is supposed to do. And the, one of the mandates of the king of Israel was, hey, you shouldn't marry outside of the nation of Israel, because if you marry outside of the nation of Israel, there are going to be voices that are going to come in and they're going to cause you to do things that you shouldn't do. So King Ahab was the king and he's supposed to be leading the nation of Israel the way that God wants him to be led. But Ahab decided against that, you know, because he says, now Ahab told uh, Jezebel everything Elijah had done and that how he had killed all of the prophets with the sword. So Ahab, just so we know, Jezebel is not from the nation of Israel, okay? Jezebel is from a, a, a community or people who didn't worship God, but they worshiped Baal and they worshiped Asherah. So that, that was their God. And so one, things that I, one of the things that I want us to keep kind of in the forefront, if you are in a relationship right now, or if you are thinking about getting married someday, right? Or even in your marriage. This is what I just want you to know. Whether you like it or not, the voice of your spouse has influence in the actions of your life. So anybody that thinks that somehow you're going to change that voice once you get married, 
You know, the kids, I'm assuming King Ahab would be like, oh, she'll come in here, she'll be a part of the nation of Israel, and we'll convert her over to, to God. And what happens, right? Jezebel's voice, this is what we're going to see later on, Jezebel's voice was much louder than God's, and so King Ahab bowed to what Jezebel wanted because that was the loudest voice of the day. And so he did the things that were against what God wanted them to do to the point where uh, King Ahab was worshiping the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah, and it came to a head. Right? And so when it came to a head, Elijah decided this. We're going to have a come to Jesus meeting. You ever have those in your house? Like when your kids are a little bit out of line and you're like, come to the table. It's time to meet Jesus. Right? We got some stuff to talk about. And it's where like things have got out of hand and we need to bring it back together and we need to figure out what's going on and we need to decide again what they were going to make the decision. So um, Elijah said, we need to decide who you're going to follow. Enough of this mixing it together, some with God and some with, you know, uh, Baal and some with Asher. You know, we've been trying to mix it together. And so he decides to have this standoff at Mount Carmel. You guys remember this story? So they go to Mount Carmel, 800 prophets, 400 from Baal, 400 from Asher, one prophet from God. And the idea was we're going to see whose God is real. Right? And so they go there, and the, the, the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asher start cutting themselves, and they start chanting. And the whole idea is, is that fire is supposed to come down from heaven, and it's supposed to con- light the fire and consume the sacrifice. So they're like chanting and running around. They're like, well, God's not answering, and he's, you know, the fire hasn't come yet. So they cut themselves some more and scream a little bit more and run around a little bit more until the point where their God is not responding. Right? So... Ultimately, Elijah says, here's what I'm going to do. So in the midst of this, I'm going to make sure that everybody understands that this is God and not me. So he takes a bucket of water and there's this wood and he pours it on. And he's like, just to make sure everybody gets this, I'm going to take another bucket of water and I'm going to pour it on. And so anybody that's a fire maker, right, they're looking at that and they're being like, without gasoline, diesel fuel, and a lot of matches, that thing ain't starting right? Like that thing ain't happening. That thing ain't getting anywhere. So anybody that was looking at this was, this is an impossibility. And then he just says, let me pray, God, you know, show yourself in the midst of that. And instantaneously, God sends fire from heaven, not just to light that smoky fire. Anybody had that camping fire that you can't sit around because your logs are all wet and okay. I've had those fires that they're a little bit too wet and you're sitting around them and it's just kind of trickling and all it is is smoke, but you think you have a fire and it's a little bit warm. No, this came down. Fire consumed not only the wood, but consumed everything around the altar, right? And if you were standing there, just think about this. Like you saw all these crazy people chanting and running around. You knew this fire was going to start. Fire just came down from heaven, consumed all of, of, of the wood and also consumed the sacrifice. I think if you're standing there, you're like, heck, the, the heck with Baal and Asher, like the God that sends fire from heaven, like I'm in with him, right? Like that's the God that did something. And so that was the whole idea. You're going to have to make a decision. Who are you going to follow? After this happened, God said, you need to kill all of the prophets of Baal and all the prophets of Asher. So they went out and they killed all of those prophets after this happened so that everybody could know there is only one true God. So when we read this in the beginning, that's the backstory when he says, so now what's he going to tell Jezebel? So what he went and told Jezebel is just what I told you. This is what God did. This is, you know, uh, how he responded. This is what happened, all the prophets. And then this is how they respond from that. So verse two says, so Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like the one, like one of them. And, and think about this for a second. So here's Jezebel. You just heard this story. How is it that somebody gets so blinded that can't be like, wow, God is a pretty amazing God, right? Like I know we were worshiping all of these gods, but right in front of her, she just heard that God sent fire down from heaven and all of her prophets were killed. How could you be so blinded that you would not see like, this is who God really is. But sometimes we get so inundated with all of the voices that are around us that we can't see who God really is, even if he shows up in fire, right? Like that's an important piece for us to understand. Now, if you were reading the story 
and somebody was telling you this story, we would, if you don't read it any further on, what do you think his response would be? What would Elijah's response would be? You just saw fire from heaven, right? You just saw God consume everything. How do you think that he should respond? Like Jezebel, what? Right? Like, who really cares? Like, at the end of the day, who's going to listen to Jezebel? God just sent fire from heaven, right? Like, why would I ever even listen to that voice? Anybody? Right? Like, you just saw God. Why would you ever listen to Jezebel? But how did Elijah respond? And this is so important. This is what he did. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Somebody who just saw God do miraculous things, one voice can flip the switch. Now, listen to me. The reason that this is so important is so many times we either get shamed, right? Because fear is a real response. You know what I mean? Like fear in your life is a real response. And sometimes people shame you to the fact that, like, you shouldn't have fear because you should have faith. Here's a guy that saw God call down fire from heaven and he's fearful, and he's running. There are certain triggers in your life, and there are certain things that are going to come about, and you're going to, or your response, regardless of where your faith is, is going to be responding in fear. So it's nothing to be ashamed of that certain triggers at times move us to a place of fear. And that's what I wanted you to see is when we read this, here's a man that saw the fire from heaven, but still ran for his life. Now, this is what happened next. When he says, when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Now, I don't know where you're at in your journey right now, but for a lot of people, you get to this place where I've had enough. Do you know what I mean? Where fear and emotions and the things that have happened around you, you just get to the point where I'm tired, right? I'm tired of all of, I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of like pushing. I'm tired of doing all of these things. And you just get to this point and fear has pushed Elijah to this point where you're just saying, you know what? I'm done. I'm tired. I've had enough. I'm at the end. God, you might as well take me. And so what I want us to recognize is those are real emotions. Those are real things that happen in the lives of people as you get to the point where the world pushes in so much, right? And Satan pushes against you so much to try to get you to the place where you quit. Now, here's four things that I want us to look at. And these are four things that when fear comes in is our response or things that, that we respond to in a way when it comes to fear. So here's the first one, right? And you can write these down or you can come back to them later. But the first one is that we forget about what God has done. So when fear creeps in, most of the time when fear creeps in, it's because we forget about what God has done in the past, right? Remember this. Here's in the story. Here's Elijah. He's, he's looking at the situation, and he can't just look a week earlier or two days earlier of what God did. Why? Because he was so focused on what was going on, right? You get so focused in the moment of your story that you tend to not be able to look back, and that's part of Satan's lie or Satan's ploy is to keep you focused on what's happening right now and make you forget about all the faithfulness that God had in your life before. So we, when fear creeps in, forget about what God has done. The other one is, is that we forecast terrible things, and then we er, uh, insert ourselves into the story. So let me tell you how this works. So a lot of times in life, situations come up, and we talk about a lot of what ifs, right? So you start talking about the stories of what could be, so whatever those things are in your life. And when you put this story together, and there's a lot of what ifs, but it's somebody else's story, you might look at it like, wow, that would be really bad. But until it becomes your story, do you fear? Does that, am I making sense of that? You know what I mean? Like you start putting together this what if story and what if this happens and what if this happens and you start playing these things over in your mind and the story is about somebody else and then all of a sudden when fear creeps in, you start putting yourself in the story. So no longer is it what if it could happen to somebody else. What if it happens to me? What if I get the diagnosis? 
What if I, you know, experience this? What if I in this relationship? What if, what if, what if? And you start putting all those things together. And when you put those things together, fear really starts to creep in. And we tell ourselves these stories. And the crazy thing about it, right, is if you've ever done this before, 90% of the time, all of the what ifs that you put together never come true. Right? Like 90% of the story that you told yourself never comes true, but telling yourself that story and inserting yourself in it is difficult to not pull yourself out of. And, and I want to tell you this, and it's hard to speak into the life of a person that's going through this, right? Like I told the first service, like just give you an example. So Sherry, uh, because she had this gene mutation and we knew that this gene mutation had caused the death of her, her father and then also, you know, some other issues, that every time that she got a diagnosis, she would tell you, like, part of the problem is she gets paralyzed by fear. You know what I mean? Like it was triggers. So when she got kidney cancer, it was, oh, you know, kidney cancer is a part of the BAP1. So now all of a sudden, now it's just going to, and she would start telling herself this story of how it was going to escalate into she was going to die, right? Or she got her brain tumor. And when she got her brain tumor, it was just like her dad, the same brain tumor. So when they came in and gave her the diagnosis and they said it's an atypical meningioma brain tumor, it's exactly what they told her dad. And you know the story she starts to tell herself? Right, then everything's going to turn out like this. And I would always say to her, Sherry, like, we never know, right? Like, we can't play all of these what-ifs out. But you know that's easier said than the person that has a diagnosis. It's easier to speak into somebody's life from the outside than living it from the inside. Right, and so we have to walk that journey with people. So if you're personally on that journey, I, I mean, I'm with you. It's hard to see outside of what could be because you have seen the story play out right? But when we come alongside of people and help them, the process of helping them walk through this journey is not to shame them for feeling this way, but to help them see hope, not hope from our opinion, but hope from scripture, right? Like that's the whole idea of walking through that journey, but fear causes us to tell a story. The other thing is that fear causes us to flee. We see that in the life of Elijah. Like as soon as fear comes, you want to run, Right? You don't want to face it. Like a lot of times we don't want to face the fear of what's causing us to be fearful. We'd rather run away, you know, and not face whatever those things are. And I've told you guys this before. You know, one of the challenges that we have as Christian people is, is that part of the reason we struggle to grow in our faith is because we don't face the deepest things that he wants to deal with us on. Like, so why do you fear this? Right? So why are you in this moment fearing these things? So instead of saying, like, I really need to unpack this. Like, why in the world do I feel this way right now? Instead of doing that, we're like, no, I'm running away from that because I don't like the emotion. I don't want to be there. I don't want to live in the midst of fear. So I'm going to run away from. And God's saying, I, I want you to stay here because I got something I want you to want to do with you. I want to work through those processes. The other thing that fear causes for each one of us is to fold. And, and when I say fold, I want to make sure that we get this, okay? So I'm not necessarily saying fold, meaning you lose your faith, right? So I'm not saying you get to this place where, you know what, I, I, I've lost my faith and I'm walking away from God because I don't believe anymore that he is faithful and I don't believe anymore because of the situations in my life that he could ever fix these things. I'm not saying fold in that way. I'm saying fold in this. Sitting underneath a broom tree Elijah was no longer any good to God. Not that he still didn't believe in God, right? Not that he still didn't know that God was who he said he was, but now he's sitting under a broom tree and now he can't be used because he's under the broom tree and he's not out on mission for what God wants him to do. So when I say fold, this is what I want you to know. Satan knows that he can't take your salvation, but he knows he can make you ineffective. By causing you to live in this bubble of what could be, not what should be. Does that make sense? Right? Like, he wants you to live in this bubble that would say, stay under this tree because inside of this tree, and this is what we know, I think we know this. Usually, inside of fear, the first thing that we want to do is flee from fear and find comfort. Right? Like, you flee from it, you want to, you want to be comfortable because we don't want to go in those directions. Here's what I want you to know about a, a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you choose to live out your faith, it will not be safe. It will not be safe. 
If you're trying to create a Christianity that's comfortable for you, you're going to end up under the broom bush. If you're trying to create something that never has the challenges where you're going to have to step up and say, there's some fear in witnessing. There's some fear in going on a journey with somebody. There's some fear. Like those things are going to come up if you're being used by God. If we think Christianity is going to be comfortable and when it's the first time it's not comfortable, you're going to run to the broom bush and you're going to sit underneath it and you're going to create an insulated box that says, this is how I want to live. And you're no longer going to be effective, by, effective being used by God because you've created a story that you want to live in, but it's not the story that God wants you to live in. Okay? So we can't flee and we don't want to fold because God still wants to use us. Now, if you go on into the end of verse 5, we're going to talk now how God responds and then how he asks Elijah to respond. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head was some bread uh, baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and ate and drank. Strengthened by uh, that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah, what are you doing here? So one of the things that I want you to see, you know what's so great? So if you're not familiar with um, the love that God has for you, look at the response in what God did. He's under a broom tree. He's, he's decided he's giving up. And God shows up with an angel and gives him what he needs. You see, I think we would look at it and be like, now's the time for that pep talk, right? Now's the time to say, what are you doing under the tree? You should never be under the tree. If you're, if you're a soldier for Christ, buck up. Get going. Stop being a baby. Stop, you know what I mean? Like, this is the time to kick him in the butt, right? This is the time to give him the speech. But you know, he didn't need the speech. You know what he needed? Some strength. You know what he needed? One day he needed fed. It didn't change anything, but he needed to know that God was still there. And isn't it cool that God pursued him? Isn't it cool that God went to the tree? Like, God didn't be like, oh, that loser, when you're done being a baby, come back and we'll use you. Don't you think that's cool? Because I've been that baby under the tree, so I'm glad he comes back. You know what I mean? I'm glad he comes and meets me where I'm at so that he can use me for where he wants me to be. You know, and I think it's so, for us as Christian people, how cool is it that God said, I'm going to send an angel, here's a little food. I'm going to send an angel Here's a little strength. Now, go on this journey. And when he goes on this journey, then he says, now that you have the strength, now that you're at this place in life, here's what I want you to consider. What are you doing here? But he didn't ask him to consider that until God met him first. Does that make sense? Right? Like he met him, built up his strength, and then said, now we need to address, how did you ever get here? You know what I mean? Like there is something we got to work through on trying to figure out why you ended up here. Then he goes on and he says, his, this is his reply. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty and the Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart shattered the rocks, and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So he gets to this place where he stands out there. God finally speaks to him, right, and gets to a place where now he can tell him, this is what I want you to do, right? 
He wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire, but he was in a gentle whisper. And in this gentle whisper, now he's at a place where he can hear what God wants him to do to move him out of fear, but to move him into his anointing. And this is what he tells him to do in verse 15. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came, essentially telling him, you're going to have to go back before you can go forward. Part of going forward is going back, and that's going to be a part of your journey. So I'm going to give you four things. These four things are ways that we can go back to the place, get out from underneath the tree, and go back to the place that God wants us to be. Here's the first one. You're going to have to train your ear to hear a gentle whisper because God's not getting out a megaphone and trying to speak over other people's voices. So you need to train yourself to hear the gentle whisper. Now, it is a training process, because I don't know if any of you guys have tried this. Do you remember when we said in growing up prayers that you need to get alone and you need to shut the door? Does anybody else think you're going crazy when you shut the door and there are no like things going on around you? Like, Do you hear a lot of voices that you shouldn't be hearing? Not like voices, but I'm sitting there and I'm sitting alone and I'm thinking, I need to focus on God and I want to hear from God. And then all of a sudden it's like, I should be out in the woods cutting trails for my tree stand, getting my deer stands ready and putting out food plots. I'm like, what am I doing? What am I doing? Any, anybody else? Like you have other voices that come in and they only come in when you're trying to be quiet? Like they never come in any other time, right? Like you could be out doing everything and you never hear those voices. But as soon as you shut down, all of those voices come in and you're like, I can't be alone. I'm crazy, right? Like I'm, all these things are coming in. That's why it's a training process, right? You have to train yourself to be alone so that you can hear the whisper of God, right? It's not going to happen. So everybody that said, like, I've tried to go alone and I've, I just couldn't do it. Like, I couldn't do it. I thought about all these other things, but I could You're right. That's part of training. You're right. It doesn't happen on the first time. It doesn't happen on the second time. It, you just have to figure out ways that you can start moving those voices out and that you can train yourself to listen to the voice of God. And the other thing is, is remember what happens when you have idle time in your brain, right? When you have idle time in your life, people have a tendency to seek out voices. And I went like this in the first service, and they're like, what are you doing? Like, that's your phone, right? If I had a phone in front of me. If you have idle time, what do people tend to do? Seek out other people's voices. And like, I'm not seeking out other people's voices. I'm just on Instagram, or I'm just on TikTok, or I'm just on, I'm amazed now how many times Jeremy tries to tell me news that came from TikTok. I'm like, does news really come from TikTok? You're like, it was on TikTok. I don't know if it's really true or not, but I think this is the news, you know? And I'm like, but whether you believe it or not, when you go through there, you are allowing voices, right? It's not just random scrolling because I, this is the reason that I know this. People are like, well, I just scroll through, and then they'll tell me, did you read that story? Did you see what that person said? Did you, you know what I mean? And, and again, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying social media is bad, because again, it is an opportunity to have a right voice, right? It is an opportunity to portray the right things. But way too many times when your mind gets idle, you seek out somebody else's voice. And so inside of that, when we look at this, you got to train yourself for which voices you're going to let in so that the voice of God can speak to you. That makes sense? Because you know the new commodity in the world isn't money. The new commodity in the world is your attention, which leads to money. Like, we know that, right? I hope we know that. Like, the whole idea is if I can get your attention, I can make more money than I can by just having an exchange, right? Like, it's not just about I have an item and you buy it. It's like, if I get your attention, I can make millions off of your attention. So there is a fight in the world today for your attention, and so you're going to have to train yourself to hear the still, small voice. The next thing is, is you've got to go back from where you came from, right? So in the going back to where you came from, this is an important part that we talked about is you have to go back and journey through the faithfulness of what God has done so that we can be able to move forward for the things that he wants to do in the future. So going back through your past or going back through the things that God wants to do in your life or has done in your life will allow you to move forward in the future. So if you need to retrace your steps and you need to go back because you're stuck and you need to look at the faithfulness of what God did, it'll allow you to be able to move forward. The next one is this, anchor your heart to what is true because the spirit of Jezebel is wrong. 
okay? And when I say that, here's what I need us to remember. Not that, this, not that fear isn't a real emotion, but what Jezebel was trying to do to Elijah is come in and take the place of God. And when they, she came in and took the place of God saying, I'm going to end your life, that spirit that somebody else is in control except for God that is untrue, and you need to anchor yourself in what is true, which is God is in control whether you like it, and I'm going to say this very seriously, whether you like it or not. And I told you, and I want to share this with you, for us to understand how to get over the spirit of fear, you have to believe this. Scripture says everything is filtered through the hand of God. Everything. Everything. God is in control and everything is filtered through his hand regardless of the outcome of what's happening, whether you like it or not, right? Now, I say that because of this. That means that I have to believe that my wife dying at 49 years old was filtered for the hand of God and that he allowed it to happen. That's what I have to believe, right? I have to believe that my Lord and my Savior's plans were better than mine. And you know how hard that is to do when it hits close to home? If you don't, someday you will. Someday you're going to come to this point where you're going to be like, really, God, you allowed this to happen? Are you crazy? Do you not know? Are you not... Are you not in charge? Because somebody who's in, char in charge and compassionate and says that he loves me does not let these things happen. Right? He doesn't. But inside of that, to continue to come back to this, doesn't mean that, it, that I'm still not working through it, but I always have to come back to this. But I have to believe what Scripture said is true. Jezebel says, I'm in control and I can take life and spare life and do all those things. The spirit of the Lord says, I am the author and the perfecter of life and your faith, and you need to believe what is true, even though we don't like sometimes what that outcome is. The other one is this, that we need to engage with your assignment. So the worship team's going to come back up, and here's what I want you to think about. When I say engage with your assignment, here's what um, Jesus was trying to get done by going there and feeding him, giving him strength, asking him why he was there, why he went to the place where he said, go back to where you came from, is because here's what he knew, just what we sang earlier. If you still have breath, you're not done. If you still have breath, you're not done. God, and, and if you don't know this, so if the rest of the service was all boring to you, listen to this part. If you are a Christian person in this room, God has an anointing on your life. If you are a Christian person that knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, there is an anointing on your life and God wants to use you. And here's what we know. You can't get used when you're sitting under the tree. And you can't get used when we're running away. And he wants you to know this. And I, and I told you guys this in a couple uh, messages ago. You know something that has really helped me through this process of grieving my wife is I didn't think that this was going to be the case, but after Sherry died, I sat there in these places and I'm thinking, yeah, like purpose and thought and future and like, what does it look like? And it was hard to think about it. It was hard to think about a future without her, right? Does that make sense? Like hard to think about what life was going to be like without her because we did ministry together as a team. So I didn't know like what's going to be, what's it going to look like in the future. And that I thought of our anointing was us as a team. And I wondered like, do I still have purpose? Remember when we talked about this a little bit? So part of what has helped me navigate this is knowing this. If I still have breath, I'm not done and neither are you. And this fear, because I'll just tell you, regardless, I, I never thought this would happen to me, but I had a fear of the future. I had a fear of what life was going to look like without my wife. What's it going to look like being alone? What's it going to look like by not having your soulmate? What's it going to look like to be able to, you know, raise my children and, and have grandchildren? And I had this fear that was paralyzing. 
right? And you're under this tree and you're wondering, can there be any purpose in life? And then you come back to this place where you're saying, listen, I still have an anointing on your life. I still have, I still have a job for you to do. I still have a place that I want you to be. I still have a place that, that I can still use you, right? And when we're on assignment, it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to run into obstacles. But when you're on assignment, when you're on a mission for God, that it, your story is going to change the life of somebody else. Because just so you know this, nobody knows your story when you're under the tree sitting alone. Nobody knows the story until you get back on assignment because on assignment, you're going to be doing life with people. On assignment, you're going to be walking this journey with somebody else. And on this journey, we're going to be able to see God revealed and God do amazing things. So will you stand so I can pray for you? Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, we just know and understand that in our lives, sometimes fear is crippling. And too many times voices get amplified that should never be amplified that cause this crippling fear in our lives. Lord, I pray today that whatever those voices are, that we will recognize what they are and that we will shut them down. Lord, I pray that we will train our hearts and our minds to hear your still small voice. Lord, I'm praying that throughout this series and throughout this next year, Lord, that you're going to speak to people in this room. Not casually, not just in conversation, but Lord, you're going to speak directly to the anointing on the lives of the people in this room. The things that you have for them, the things that you want for them, the way that you want to use them, that you're going to be specific and direct and you're going to drag us out from underneath this ineffectiveness that we've been in to a place of changing the world. So Lord, I pray that we'll hear from you. Each one of us will hear from you. And Heavenly Father, I also pray that in this journey that we will have courage because it doesn't mean that the spirit of fear isn't going to continue to attack, that Satan's not going to continue to try to move us back to the place underneath the broom bush. So Lord, may we be faithful servants of you. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone and I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God and I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child from my mother's womb you have chosen me love has called my name and I've been born again to your family your blood flows through my veins sing this out I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God and I'm no child of God. I'm no longer, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And I'm no longer a slave to fear. I 
So I think that song is such a, a great way to end this because it speaks to that in a few words, if we're a slave to fear, the answer is this. Say it over and over and over again. You are a child of God. He loves you. He's coming to you. He wants to rescue you and he wants to use you, right? And if we just keep remembering those things, it says we will no longer be a slave the fear. So as you go out this week, train yourself to listen for that still small voice. And I continue to pray that God will speak to you, not in general ways, but specific ways and how he wants to use you and the anointing that he has on each one of your lives. So thank you for being with us here at our main campus. Thanks for joining us online and we'll see you guys next week.